Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Joe Kuntz has supported Independent Tech News directly for five years. Be like Joe. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for the fifth year in a row. Wednesday, January 2nd, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And I'm the show's producer from the outskirts of L.A. County. Five years ago today, we launched this show, and our guest on that day was Mr. Tim Stevens. And I'm very pleased that Tim was able to come back more. I mean, he's been on in between as well, but but uh, <laughs> five years later uh, to help us celebrate. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for having me, Tom. It's, uh, it's definitely an honor to be here. I'm, I'm glad things have gone so well for five years. It's been great to watch the show all this time. And uh, yeah, I'm honored to be back. Thank you. Uh, honestly, if you'd asked me on that show five years ago, if we were going to be here five years later, I don't know whether I would have been able to honestly say yes, uh, but I'm very glad we are. And uh, we have lots of cool stuff to celebrate our five-year anniversary, including some merchandise for our patron supporters and more. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But the reason we've been here for five years is because we start with a few tech things you should know. Net Applications estimates that Windows 10 held 39.22% of desktop OS market share in December, while Windows 7 finally fell behind to 36.9%. Windows 10 was released 3.5 years ago. Windows 7 came out 10 years ago. Microsoft will end extended security updates for Windows 7 on January 14th, 2020. Now, I hope you enjoyed our special episodes over the holiday break, but, you know, we, we have been off for a little while. And a couple of weeks ago, Fierce Wireless reported that AT&T, oh, I, gosh, I just hate it when companies do this. T-Mobile did it with 4G. AT&T is changing the LTE indicator on its Android phones, some of its Android phones, to say 5GE instead of LTE when connected to a 5G evolution tower. 5G evolution is not 5G. 5G evolution is a marketing label for a bunch of LTE technologies like carrier aggregation, 4x4 MIMO, stuff like that. It does provide faster service. Actual 5G service from AT&T will show up on your phone as 5G+. 
Well, Tom, maybe this will make you happier. Roku announced it will offer premium video channel add-ons to its free Roku channel. Offerings will include uh, channels like Showtime, Stars, and Noggin. Hmm. The Roku channel streaming service and any add-ons you buy will also be available on the Roku mobile app. Oh, that does make me happier. Thank you. Okay, good. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about science. Ars Technica reports on a paper published in the journal PLOS One showing that Facebook users, on average, in their study, said they would have to be paid more than $1,000 a year if they're to stop using Facebook. Now, it's, you're <laughs> going to pay them. You're going to want to take pot shots at this, uh, <laughs> but this is a really well-done study. Uh, they wanted to find out how much is this actually worth to you, Facebook? If we paid you to stop using Facebook, how much would it take? Now, people could say, well, give me a million dollars, right? So to, to make it real. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. They, they primed them. They did training questions before they introduced the Facebook questions. So things like, uh, how much would uh, you take to not wear shoes the rest of the day? And then, then, then they followed up with real-world consequences. The lowest bidder had to go the rest of the day at the study without their shoes on. So it trained them like, hey, these questions are real. We're really going to do this. They also used something called second price auction, which meant that no matter what you bid, the second lowest price would be the price that got paid uh, so that you you knew you shouldn't try to skew it by saying you're going to have to pay me a ton of money. Uh, it, that's an it's it's. I can't really explain it well, but statistically, that's a very good way to keep values real. And then the respondents who won the bids really did have to quit Facebook for up to a week. It was one day, three day or, or week periods and were in fact paid by the study. So that all of this was a way to get an accurate number. 
And generally, I mean, we aren't talking about $1,000 a year in practice. In the study, they were saying things like, you know, okay, uh, $4 for a day, $5 for a day, $14, $15 for three days, uh, $37, $40, stuff like that for a week. But it was the amounts would end up being $1,000 a year. Uh, and, and I think the point of this is people say they will delete Facebook and don't. We know that. And people really do, when when push comes to shove, find it difficult to want to quit Facebook for multiple reasons. This really feels like an episode of Black Mirror that's kind of escaped into the real world, right? People wanting or needing that much money or needing that much incentive to give up this website. That's that's really disconcerting. This is a bad way to start the year off, Tom. Well, <laughs> I know what you mean. I, a lot of them say it's because of work. Uh, it's because of their livelihood. They they communicate mm-hmm. with their boss. They communicate with their customers. Uh, there's there's family issues for a lot of people. So there there are those situations where people are like, oh yeah, I could do without most of Facebook, but ooh, if I really had to go without it, there is that one thing that I have to have it for. I mean, that's always been my excuse. Uh, Facebook can be infuriating to me at times, but I always say, well, but it's a promotional tool and it yeah, helps it, yeah, kind of keep in touch with people from home and, and family. But it's more so that I feel like I need it for work. The uh, incentive of getting $1,000 to not use Facebook for a short period of time is pretty nice though. for a year. I mean, it's not short. Well, okay, but it's you know not forever either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and probably at the end of it, you'd you'd figure out other ways to 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 connect with those folks. I think I could do you, it. Yeah. I I think I could too. Yeah, In fact, I too. really want to. <laughs> <laughs> the USFCC approved Google's radar-based motion sensor, known as the Soli Project. The chip tracks hand and finger motions at high speed with accuracy. It can allow users to control vices, devices rather just by touching them. No need for knobs or switches or even touch screens. The project received a waiver to operate at higher power levels than usually allowed and will be allowed to use on planes as well. Yeah, Facebook had actually put in an, a protest about the higher power usage, but came to an agreement, uh, which I think means that Facebook will get similar waivers for some of their wireless projects, uh, you know, things like Oculus Go and stuff that they want to use. But uh, it's not even just touch-free. It also could do with watches, like be able to sense your motion above the watch so you wouldn't even have to touch the watch. Great for accessibility in, in multiple situations uh, and and really could revolutionize how we interact with devices. And moving to radar, I think is an interesting thing. We've seen uh, technologies from companies like Elliptic Labs using sonar and acoustic technologies that tend to be very short range, but radar should allow you to go much further away from the device, which could mean you could put something like this in your living room, for example, and control smart devices by pointing at them. There's also an automotive application too. BMW has some really simple gesture technology in their car, but it's based on a camera built in the roof of the car. And not everybody wants cameras you know, pointing at them all the time. Going with something like this would allow you to track gestures without having to worry about a, you know, a camera being pointed at you all the time with all the security ramifications there. This, this is one of those developments that I think is going to, uh, it's going to take a while to work its way into the marketplace. And when it does, the first one is going to feel kind of gimmicky. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if a few years down the road, this is a regular way that we interact with stuff, uh, especially in, in the home and in the car. I don't think it replaces touchscreens uh, any more than touchscreens have gotten rid of keyboards. But I, I think this is going to be a, a pretty normal way we interact in the future. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, I totally agree. 
The USB Implementers Forum has recommended implementation of USB Type-C authentication program. Now, this is a recommendation. It'll probably go through, but it isn't through yet. If it gets adopted, the program would require cryptographic-based authentication for USB-C devices and chargers. So devices like your phone could be set not to charge or exchange data with anything plugged into them that isn't implementing the standard. PCs could be set to only allow connections from verified USB-C devices. So the first place my mind went to was I never plug into any of those public USB ports in airplanes or airports or hotels because I don't know what's on the other side of them unless I have a cable that I'm sure is power only. This would allow me to feel a little more safe doing so because it would be a standard that I could look and say, okay, is that is this really an authentic port? Now, granted, people could swap that out and, and that could be a problem, but it would cut down on misuse. Hmm. I totally agree. I, I am a little bit concerned that we're adding another standard on top of USB-C and different implementations of this could mean that you might have more cables that are incompatible with more devices. And it's already a bit of a landmine uh, or situa- a landmine field right now with USB cables trying to buy the right ones for the right amperage for the right devices. And now for adding another standard on top of that, it might get even more complicated. And this, you know, USB-C world was supposed to be, you know, every cable for every device. And it's rapidly showing me that it's, it's not really going to be that way. I, I don't know. I, I think those of us who work with multiple devices feel this and kind of over-index it. I, I'm not trying mm-hmm. to say it isn't a problem, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to continue to be as much of a problem as it has been. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll work itself out as more devices get USB-C. Um, this would be a protocol that would let you know if something is safe. And I feel like that that it doesn't introduce the kind of complexity that you're talking about as much. It basically says, hey, you can you can look for a device and make sure that it's it's cryptographically protected or not. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. It wouldn't mean that every device is cryptographically protected though, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. So it, it it does introduce that kind of complexity. Netflix has removed the second episode of Patriot Act with Hassan Minhaj from its service in Saudi Arabia after receiving a government order to do so. In the episode, Minhaj criticized Saudi Arabia's crown prince, also the war in Yemen. Clips of the statements are still available on Netflix's YouTube channel in Saudi Arabia, however. Yeah, and Netflix says they haven't. It's not that they're refusing to take those down. They haven't received a request to take those down, only the actual episode on Netflix, which is interesting. I don't know if Saudi Arabia just isn't concerned with YouTube or if they did, or, yeah, just haven't gotten around to yeah, realizing that they, they just didn't get to it yet. <laughs> sure. Uh, it is illegal in Saudi Arabia to criticize the crown prince. I, I mean, it's it's a different world to think of for most Western countries where it is illegal to stop us from criticizing government officials, right? We have free speech protections. Saudi Arabia is a more traditional absolutist monarchy, uh, and it is illegal there to criticize the crown prince. So, and Netflix is just following the law, but a lot of people are criticizing Netflix for following the law and saying, you should resist this. And if, and if they will not budge, you should not do business in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and there's certainly an increasing trend against doing business in Saudi Arabia. It's certainly a big push against companies who do so. And, you know, this is just another factor, that major, major, massive story that's continuing to build and will continue to build through 2019. It was certainly one of the biggest stories in 2018. Um, But, yeah, I think it's a little bit difficult to expect Netflix to make a major change or, or to you know, to be kind of this 
this bellwether against this this oppressive regime. You know, they're a content company. They simply want to do business there. And certainly we can't expect every company to stand up against everything that we don't like everywhere around the world. It's it's a difficult situation. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that there is an answer that would please everyone, right? right. You're exactly. either on the side of the fence that says Netflix shouldn't uh, cooperate with the government that does things that I disagree with it. Uh, or there's, there's the side that says Netflix should follow local laws wherever they are. They should, they, we would want them to respect our laws that are different from other countries in the U S and of course they should respect laws in other countries. And then there's probably people like me who are on the fence saying, well, I understand that Netflix might feel like it can do more good operating in the country, uh, and, and following the letter of the law and pushing these sort of things out to see what will actually stick, uh, and which ones won't. And the Crown Prince is a very controversial character right now, especially re- in regards to the controversy around the death of a journalist uh, and some people attributing him as the responsible agent. Uh, Saudi Arabia says that that is not true, um, but it's 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 tricky. And so you know, Netflix even having one episode of Hassan Minaj or having had the second episode up for a while, arguably could be more effective than not operating in the country at all. I don't know that I'm arguing that. I'm just saying. <laughs> it could be. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. All right. 2018, automotive news was dominated by self-driving cars and Elon Musk. <laughs> Is that a fair <laughs> summarization, do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think so. And the news, of course, wasn't always good, especially in those two two topics. With self-driving cars, of course, we had the unfortunate Uber fatality early in, early in the year. I think it was in March, uh, which was a terrible story from beginning to end and ultimately um, caused a lot of problems for the company and, and for the autonomous industry as a whole. But yeah, certainly Elon Musk um, doing lots of Elon Musk things through 2018 was a huge story as well. Uh, and 2019, I hope, will be a little bit more about uh, about the hardware, about the cars, about the technology, and about the business. Yeah, so so break it down for us. Is 2019 going to be uh, all, all more autonomous cars? Uh, do folks who like driving have a reason to be excited this year? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure most of us will still be driving our own cars in 2019. Yeah, definitely. The vast, vast majority of us said this time next year, we'll still be driving our own cars. But uh, one of the big stories, though, will be Waymo stepping forward. Uh, Waymo has sort of officially launched their service in the broader Phoenix area, kind of at the last minute in 2018. They flipped the switch and allowed people to actually start using their service there in the Phoenix area. And I was able to go down and actually ride that service. So they'll be continuing to expand that in the greater Phoenix area through 2019. And they're also looking to launch that in the Bay Area as well, uh, doing some rides in the broader San Francisco area. Whether or not that happens this year remains to be seen, Um, but it will be a continual gradual rollout where we'll see more and more areas added in. And there may not even be releases on all these things. It may just kind of happen quietly. Um, But that will grow through the course of this year, but still it's going to be very, very limited through even through the end of this year. My my criticism of the Waymo rollout in Arizona uh, was that it really wasn't any different than the beta program. You still, yeah. it was still restricted in who could use it. The only difference was now they had to pay uh, and they could <laughs> talk to other people about it. You know, they, they lifted the NDA, but right. it, it wasn't much of a step forward. If they expand to new markets though, I feel like that's significant. We're still, we still got safety drivers and all this stuff though. 
Right. And yeah, I, t- I totally agree. It was uh, uh, the softest of soft launches. We'll put it that way. But I do like that those riders are no longer under NDA. And I'm really looking forward to hearing more from those riders, the experiences, and ultimately, you know, how it's impacting their lives, because that's one of the bigger things that we don't actually know that much about. Um, but yeah, everything, they do have safety drivers in the car. And they've always had operators in the car, but they had been for quite a bit of the testing in the passenger seat. Um, but according to Waymo, that was actually making their riders nervous, having nobody behind the wheel. So they moved them back over. Uh, in my rides, they never had to take over. The car was completely autonomous and the operator was just sitting there watching, basically. Um, but certainly, you know, as we're looking to get people to feel more comfortable in these cars, uh, you know, I think that ultimately companies should be pretty conservative and do whatever they need to do to make people feel like this is a safe environment. Is this something that's just going to keep inching forward and, and it's going to be years before most people even see the opportunity for this, uh, much less cars that won't have safety drivers in them? Yeah, sadly so. It's not going to be an overnight kind of thing. Uh, we're going to see cars get more and more and more smart. You know, We're already seeing the beginning of that technology in cars now where cars can kind of steer themselves on highways in limited situations. Tesla, of course, had a lot of fame with autopilots on the highway, but a lot of other companies now, Nissan and Audi and Mercedes-Benz, all have comparable technologies on the road right now. And it's not, you know, it doesn't seem like a big step from there to a fully self-driving car, but of course, it's orders of magnitude more complicated, but we're beginning to see the foundations and the technologies put in cars. Uh, more and more cars, for example, are instituting uh, infrared cameras that can watch the driver to see if you're actually paying attention. And that's actually a pretty big part of the equation, too, because for a long time, we're going to have cars that will be able to drive themselves in limited situations, but they'll need to hand control back to the driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means the car will need to know if you're even paying attention. And so we're beginning to see cars that can now make that distinction. See if you're actually looking at the road. And that then leads us to the next step of cars that can completely drive themselves in some situations. And then at that point, it'll get broader and broader in those situations that they can drive themselves. Yeah, it fe- it fe- that feels like the truth to me. That feels like what's more likely to happen is yeah. the cars will just slowly take over more and more of the driving uh, until we suddenly realize one day, oh, I, I guess I don't really even need to be in here <laughs> in, the, in the driver's seat anymore. Uh, but it- Exactly. But as someone who enjoys driving, I actually am really looking forward to this because we've all had those long highway crawls or we've all been stuck in traffic. Certainly you guys in L.A., uh, you know, that's that's just just no fun. There's no way that even if you're sitting in the most exotic sports car on the planet, mm-hmm. stuck in traffic sucks. Uh, and so every car at some point should have the option to drive itself. And I'm or, really or like me sitting next to one of the most exotic sports cars on the planet while right. I'm in my 2002 Prius. but there are uh, fun cars coming to market this year. And ultimately I think one of the bigger stories is going to be that this is the year that Tesla sees the strongest competition that it has seen yet. Uh, We've certainly seen plenty of other EVs on the market, but by and large, the EVs that have been on the market thus far have been pretty relatively low cost kind of economy car hatchback kind of cars, that sort of thing. Uh, For the first time, really we're going to see a number of premium electric cars hitting the market Uh, And those are going to be really going right after Tesla's bread and butter. Uh, And so that's really a big question of how exactly will Tesla compete when Audi and Porsche and Mercedes-Benz and Jaguar all have premium EVs on the road. Audis will be first. Their e-tron is coming to market in the first quarter of this year. Uh, Porsche's Taycan will be coming to market um, this year as well. And then the Mercedes-Benz EQC will be hitting the market in Europe and they're coming to the U.S. in early 2020. Uh, All of these are going to be, you know, Really nice cars made from brands that you've heard of before with dealerships all over the place. Uh, Reliable cars, nice cars, fun to drive cars, too. Uh, And so they should, again, really be competing directly against Tesla, against all the factors that Tesla has been playing uh, on for years now. 
And so now the question becomes, has Tesla moved far enough fast enough to stay ahead of these companies? Or will these companies be able to move more quickly now because they've got, you know, 100 years of experience behind them? I mean, is it it might be too much to say this is a make or break year for Tesla since that's been said every year. (laughs) But this this is the year where, you know, Tesla broke broke its own production records. You know, it finally did get its production up in in Q4 of 2018. It didn't help their stock price any, but but, Mm -hmm. you know, at least it had good news on that front. Uh, That was one of their weakest points. Dealerships might be another one. And like you say, the differential for Tesla up till now has been, hey, want a sports car with electric? Want a SUV with electric? Tesla's your only option. Well, now you've got an Audi SUV. You've got a Porsche Taycan. You've, you know, you've, you've got the cars with ex- extreme range. The, what does Tesla have left to differentiate itself on? Right now, it's really just range. And I think that's one of the things that these other companies are going to struggle with a a bit. We've not gotten official EPA ratings for any of these cars yet because that's a pretty lengthy testing process. But I'm expecting that they'll all be in the low 200 range, so 225 to 200 miles of range for all of these cars. Um, and, you know, I think Porsches will be a bit higher, but but even so, that's quite a bit less than a Model S or Model X, which will offer you more than 300 miles of range. Um, their reasoning for doing so is pretty complicated. Typically, their batteries are a little bit smaller because they have more crash protection around them. Um, these companies are also being a little bit more conservative in how they use the batteries with the hope of making the battery packs last longer. And that's definitely been one of the complaints about a lot of Tesla owners or from Tesla owners is that they keep having to get their battery packs replaced because they keep shorting out. And that's not um, cheap. That's not good at all. So, you know, these companies who've been around forever, they know that they need to have a reliable car coming to market. And so that's going to be a big change for for them, too. And then the question will be, you know, are you willing to deal with only 215 miles of range, let's say, versus a Tesla that can do 300? Uh, do you really need 300 miles of range? Um, those are going to be a lot of things that people are going to have to think about. But ultimately, you know, the warranties on these vehicles should be very good. And they're going to be priced very aggressively, in many cases, actually cheaper than Tesla's. So, you know, if you can buy a Porsche for a comparable price to a Model S or even less than a Model S, uh, a lot of people will choose the Porsche, I think. And indeed, Porsche has actually surveyed some of their earlier orderers. And a lot of them are actually coming from Tesla. So that's that's going to be an interesting scene, scene to watch. Now, I'm sure Tesla will have something to tease us with all year long uh, that we'll keep wondering when they're going to deliver on. What's it going to be? Yeah, it'll be Model Y. So Model Y is going to be their small crossover SUV. You know, the Model S came first, then the X was the larger SUV that was similar in size to the S. We've got the Model 3 now. Model Y should be the next thing that we see teased. Um, That will not be coming to market, we don't think, until 2020. But I do think that we'll be seeing some more information about that uh, this year. That They've also got a, a pickup truck coming, so we may see some teases of that. And, of course, the Roadster. We've already seen the new Roadster uh, pretty extensively. That's, again, not coming to market until 2020. But I'm guessing we'll see some uh, some more details on that. And maybe maybe if I get lucky, I might actually get a chance to take one of those for a spin this year. But uh, I'll, I'll keep my fingers crossed on that one. Well, uh, usually CES uh, these days ha- has a lot of announcements, uh, maybe not so much on models, but but definitely on technology. Uh, so, you know, is there, is there anything you're on the lookout there before we wrap up? Yeah, Tesla will not be showing us anything at CES, but certainly a lot of other companies will. And from what we're seeing thus far, a lot of the news is actually going to be on the component side of things. So more powerful LiDAR systems for autonomous cars, uh, radar systems, uh, smarter interior systems for more more processing power for higher resolution displays, things like that. So a lot of these things, again, helping these cars inch their way towards autonomy. But we should expect to see the new Nissan Leaf EV. That'll be, again, a low-cost EV. They've, they just refreshed the Leaf last year, but they've got a bigger battery pack 
that coming. Uh, and so we'll see all the details of that at CES here in just, oh gosh, just a week away. <laughs> yeah, I know. A uh, week, uh, week from today, we'll be coming back from CES, the DTNS team. So it's kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. It really is. Oh boy. Uh, also crazy, but wonderful is everyone who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Help us make our show better, please. Also at facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. All right, let's move on to the thing of the day. Chris Christensen, the amateur traveler, is here. Our first story in 2019. A new kind of scanner at the Denver, Colorado airport. This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. Next time you're at the airport, especially an airport in the U.S., and particularly Denver, you may go through an interesting and different scanning system. The most noticeable thing about the system is that you don't have to go in this little booth and raise your hands. Your arms will be down. But more importantly, this is a faster system. It's the next generation of the body scanners, and it also uses a type of non-ionizing radio frequency energy that emits less radiation than a cell phone. So it is probably also safer. We'll see how long it takes to roll that out. I'm Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler. Well, see, because five years ago today, I applied for TSA Pre. (laughs) I don't usually have to go through that scanner. But if if I do, for some reason, that'll be very nice. All right, let's check out the mailbag. Let's do it. This one comes from Sean, and it's in response to quite a few stories we had, especially towards the end of the year, and and the idea of cashless societies and how they differ depending on where you are in the world. Sean says, I recently spent eight days in Denmark and Sweden. In total, all the cash I used the entire trip was five Danish kroner. That's not very much. This was a cash deposit refund in an amusement park for recycling my plastic drink cup. Between an Amex and a Visa... I didn't have to withdraw cash anywhere. One bar even had a cards are queen sign. It didn't accept cash at all. I was super happy not to have to pay for convert and access my bank funds. I think the discussion points around this are, number one, how many places in the world are beyond cash? Number two, what are some merchants and consumers in the U.S.? Why are some uh, merchants and consumers in the U.S. against going cash free? I think there might be some EU law about transaction fees that could be part of the reason. I did get charged a little more for not having an EU-issued credit card. And number three, with Europe so focused on privacy and transparency and data tracking, why are they so willing to give all their purchase information away? In the U.S., people use cash, so they aren't tracked. If I I am ignoring the don't spend what you don't have portion of the equation, of course. In the U, though, everyone seems to be happy to use a card for everything. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm finding it more and more common that I can use my phone to pay for stuff here, too. Like I, th- I think we're, I think we're catching the wave finally. We're get, we're, we're getting closer. Yeah, we're getting closer. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can pay with my phone at the gas station now. That's, that's a sign to me. Hey guys, uh, we got another email from an anonymous person who works at Amazon and wanted to clarify the human error uh, statement regarding the GDPR information that was incorrectly disclosed. Remember that story from late last year uh, where somebody got sent the wrong information. Uh, This person says, I'm not part of that team, but I understand the wording of the press release. What they mean with human error is that a step was manual. At Amazon, we try to automate everything. So what happened is that a step of the process was manual. That's why it's human error. If there was an error in the automated process, the press release would have probably read something like, there was a problem in our process. So there you go. 
Little uh, little Kremlinology for Amazon press releases from someone Insider on the Insider info, yeah. yeah. Well, like thanks, Anon. And also thanks to Sean. And also thanks to Tim Stevens for being with us. Thanks, Erlaine. Best of 2019. How does it feel? Uh, feels pretty good so far. <laughs> we'll see how things go. <laughs> Where can folks keep up with all your amazing work otherwise? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Tim underscore Stevens. I'm Tim Stevens with no special characters on Instagram. And of course, uh, theroadshow.com. We've got a big Tesla feature coming up on Friday. So I highly recommend uh, you stay tuned for that. It should be a good one. Yeah. Uh, be on the lookout for all that good coverage at uh, cnet.com slash roadshow. Uh, or, or what was the the other address? Uh, theroadshow.com. Theroadshow.com. Also, uh, out, of, out of habit, it makes me want to say cnet.com slash CES since I did that for years. I'm sure uh, that's going to be working real soon. I'm, here sure, too. I'm sure it will be <laughs> if it's not already. Uh, hey, folks, it's uh, five years of DTNS. We're entering our sixth year. And to celebrate, uh, people who stay with our Patreon at particular tiers for three months starting today, January 2nd, will get merchandise with Len Peralta's five-year anniversary art on it. If you remember December 21st, Len's art, he had two posters that day. One was a five-year anniversary logo. So if you're a co-executive producer or an analyst and you stick at your tier for three months, you get a sticker with that logo on it. If you're an advisor, you get a poster with that logo. And if you're at the master level, you get a mug with that uh, logo. Now, the clock starts ticking from the moment you change your tier. So if you're at one of those tiers right now, the clock's already ticking starting today. Uh, but if you want to change that tier, that will reset the clock. Uh, so you want to make your decision soon at patreon.com slash DTNS slash merch. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. Keep the feedback coming. We really appreciate it. We're also live Monday through Friday. If you can join us live, please do so. 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2130 UTC. And find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.